Father, we thank you for the songs and the reminder of the music. Realize every one of those songs, at least one person, if not a few, took the time to write them down and someone else to put them to music. And a lot of it came from their trials in their own lives, like it is well with my soul. We've uh, struggled some, a number here, uh, we're through it. Uh, A lot of people are getting through it. We still have a few that are struggling, help us to help them bring them all the way, clear it up, and help us be back together as a fellowship. Uh, But may we be reminded, as the book of Habakkuk reminds us, that just because we are righteous, declared righteous in your son, doesn't mean we're not going to suffer along with this world physically. Uh, There are a lot of things we go through, and we learn a lot from it, even though we may want to die, or we may want to give up, or we may ask questions of why you're letting this happen, Uh, but we uh, are reminded that you are in control and you've taken care of us and how much we can um, be steadfast, have that endurance as James 1 talks about because we've come through the trial and we know there's hope. So look, help us, Father, today as we open up Habakkuk, a large section. Uh, May it be clear, may it be useful, uh, may we understand it as it was written and yet be able to apply it in our lives today. We just thank you for this time in Jesus' name. Amen. So we're picking up chapter 2, verse 2. Uh, we're going back, reminding uh, ourselves of the of what we've covered. Uh, remember, good old Habakkuk was complaining about the sins of Judah, that God needed to do something. It would look like he was just letting it go. Uh, he never does that. So he gives him an answer. He tells him, I'm going to send the Chaldeans. That was not a good idea. Third message. Um, he's again complaining, Habakkuk is, and um, he's kind of looking at this whole answer of God's judgment by way of the Chaldeans. And he can't believe that. Uh, why would he let him do that? But God said, I will take care of, as we look at today, I will take care of the Chaldeans. Uh, what you need to do for the people that God is using in our lives um, is to um, thank him, uh, share the gospel with them, um, show Christ-likeness to them if you're being persecuted. Uh, but to trust God that there's a much bigger plan and much bigger thing going on. Uh, regularly, our, um, um, I want to keep saying one special forces, our police and fire are taking care of needs. There was one major one last night. They're, they're happening on a regular basis. And when you realize that somebody dies in an accident, it, it just brings back reminders of um, how quickly your life can end. Um, there are no guarantees on the amount of time. There's no guarantees for your neighbors and for the coworkers. We need to be about the business of telling them the truth. We're going to see what God's ultimately going to do with those who will reject it. But they need to be given every opportunity to believe. Uh, just because we're not perfect does not give them an excuse, and they will not stand before God someday as the rich man in Lazarus. Um, when he ended up in Luke 16, in Hades, it wasn't questioning accusing. It was simply, give me some relief and help my brothers. And I I think we think that they're going to blame us when they get there because we didn't do something right. If you're not doing it right, God's going to send somebody else. Uh, And you are disobedient and I am disobedient. And so as he's coming in here, Habakkuk is kind of getting himself a little bit wrapped up in his own little world. He's mad at what God's letting Judah do. And he's even more upset when he realizes those lousy Chaldeans are going to be his tool to teach Judah a lesson. And so God has answered him. Remember we left him last week kind of standing there with the hands crossed or as I presented it with his hands on his hips? I think that's a realistic idea of where Habakkuk was at. It's kind of like, God, prove it. You've got to answer my, my accusation because my accusation's good. And you don't have a good excuse for what you're doing. Well, here's God's answer as we get into chapter 2, verse 2. He says, Then the Lord answered me and said, Record the vision and inscribe it on tablets, that the one who reads it may run. For the vision is yet for the appointed time. It hastens toward the goal, and it will not fail. Though it tarries, wait for it, which was Habakkuk was already doing. But he says, wait for it some more, for it will certainly come. It will not delay. He starts in this whole issue here of the, the liability, and God's explaining to Habakkuk his prophet, which means he probably was a halfway decent guy, Right? although I keep mentioning Samson that God used as one of his judges. So Habakkuk's not perfect. 
He has his own issues, but he didn't have the major issues of the day, or he wouldn't be bringing them up. It's kind of like we want to go hide away from those. But he says, the Lord answered me. He's given him this direct information, and he says, record the vision, literally record a vision, because it's just one of many. And, and it's the idea of writing it down. As Yahweh responds, he commands him to write it down in order to preserve it. Put the revelation from God into a permanent record. What record is that? You have it right in front of you. The Bible, and specifically the book of Habakkuk. There it is. Did Habakkuk obey? Yep, he wrote it down. He preserved it, and it's so well preserved that we have it to this day. But he's trying to stress to him in this picture here, Habakkuk, judgment is coming. Write it down. Inscribe it on tablets as he gets to the second part. Publicize it is more the idea behind this. Another command. Make it plain in order to have it publicized. That the one who reads it literally carries the idea, the herald who reads it out loud is what he's talking about. Remember, do 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 if you watch Cinderella and they show up and they make an announcement, uh, the messenger of the uh, king is here or of the prince, and we have a glass slipper, we're trying it on all the women, we're trying to figure it out. And they read it out loud to everybody. That's what he's bringing out when he says here that the one who reads it, the messenger carrying that message, who reads it out loud, he said, may run, may spread the news to others, may carry it speedily so that you clearly understand it and pass it on through those messengers. This is what God wants. So what do you think they did with the book of Habakkuk in the nation of Judah, or the two tribes of Judah there? What's he telling them to do with it? Read it out loud. Take it speedily to the audience. So this went around Judah. How well did it work? We don't believe you. God would never do that. He's not going to send the Chaldeans. And far, besides, they're far away. Look at us. There's nothing. Everything's going great. And we get so wrapped up and used to our sins that we don't even think they're sins anymore. I don't know if you picked up on that, but I did. Being laid up for a while, you, you realize how much you're lacking information from a Bible study or from a message. You're, you're lacking time in the Word because you just don't feel like it. Although you could play it on tape, and many probably did. You're struggling with this um, separation. You're, you're kind of getting all wrapped up in your own little world. It's all about me, myself, and I. And you have a pity party because that's what me, myself, and I does when they're by themselves. And you start drifting from things. It was so refreshing. Last week when I came in, I was able even to preach. You think I'm up here for you. I'm up here for me. I'm just sharing God's word with you, but I'm sharing what I learned. And so the fact that I could share and interact with God's word last week, and I had actually two weeks to do it because of how everything went, I was excited to bring it. But this is for me first, and then I pass on to you what I'm finding out and what I learned from the scriptures. And then you find out if I'm making a mistake. You check me out, right? Sometimes you don't agree with me. That's fine. But you better know why you don't agree with me, and it better come out of the scriptures, and then you can come tell me how I'm wrong. I like to learn. But here's Habakkuk. He's bringing out the fact of this liability. Habakkuk, it's not forgotten. I am not simply beating up Judah and ignoring the Chaldeans. Write it down and scribe it. Make it plain to preserve it and then make it, I mean preserve it and then make it plain, publicize it to those who need to hear it. And then he tells him as he goes down in here, it hastens toward the goal. It's for the appointed time. There is a definite fixed period when this will happen. It, the idea of hastening here is panting. It's breathing heavy, which you appreciate you can do again after COVID, right? It's just putting out effort and exercise. It's, it's working toward the goal. It's coming, Habakkuk. It, just because you can't see it, you don't feel it, you don't like it, whatever it may be, it's coming. Wait. Be patient. It's coming. I do not ignore sin. And it will not fail. This appointed time, this designated period, this fixed promise that God has set up about judgment, it will not fail. It's not going to disappoint. And literally the description here in the Hebrew is, it will not be a lie. 
what I'm saying is true and it will be carried out. That's what he's trying to stress as he's going through this passage here. It's expected. I've explained what it is and I want you to make sure it's expected. And so with this whole idea to uh, tarry, it's to linger, it's uh, to delay. And waiting for it is another command. Don't give up on it. Expectantly await it. It will certainly come. It's going to arrive, Habakkuk. It will not delay. It will not be hindered. It will surely come. He's trying to emphasize that over and over and over again. What are we thinking today about our world and sin in our world? How well is it doing? You keep hearing a new thing in the news about where our country has just gone off the deep end. It's in free fall. And when you think it can't get any worse, you hear about something else they're doing. And you're going, what happened to America? I watched this morning. I couldn't sleep. I woke up very early, and, and I was on video. I was watching a number of songs. A lot of them are in your hymnals. Uh, Mine eyes have seen the glory, but some messages about Memorial Day and those that have laid down their lives for others. And it was a, a strong reminder to me of what has been paid for and family members of mine that have served and been harmed in military. And I reflected on that and I realized God is, he's not in a hurry. See, we want him to nail the bad guy. Somebody ever do anything to you and you just say, go get him, God. And God goes, oh, you're finally talking to me again. You haven't talked to me for two days. And as soon as I bring an irritation in your life, whoop, there goes prayer. <laughs> Selfish, cold, indifferent. We don't want to pray like that. We want to find somebody that has a need like the Good Samaritan did, who is actually considered an enemy of mine, and we want to go serve them. Go out of our way to do things. They may not even like it, but we do it anyway. We don't force ourselves on them. But, but the, the idea here is Habakkuk has kind of turned himself off from Judah, and he's turned himself off really well from the Chaldeans. They're, they're hated. They're bad. And so he's trying to help him remember. Remember Second Peter 3, for you and your um, soundless electronic devices? You turn over there with me. The second book of Peter, chapter 3. There's only three chapters. He gets down into the first part of this chapter, and look what he says in verse 1. He says, This is now, beloved, the second letter I'm writing to you, in which I am stirring up your sincere mind by way of reminder, that you should remember the words spoken beforehand by the holy prophets and the commandment of the Lord and Savior spoken by your apostles. Who were the holy prophets? One of them was Habakkuk. And he says in verse 3, Know this first of all as a top priority, that in the last days mockers will come with their mocking, following after their own lusts, our world today, and saying, Where is the promise of his coming? For ever since the fathers fell asleep, all continues just as it was from the beginning of creation. For when they maintain this, it escapes their notice. But by the word of God, the heavens existed long ago, and the earth was formed out of water and by water through which the world at that time was destroyed, being flooded with water. But the present heavens and earth, by his word, are being preserved for fire, kept for the day of judgment and destruction of, the, of ungodly men, like Chaldeans. But do not let this one fact escape your notice, beloved, that with the Lord one day is as a thousand years, and a thousand years is one day. God is timeless. He's outside of time. The Lord is not slow about his promise, even though it seems like he's waited so long. But he's not slow as some count slowness, but is patient toward you. Not wishing for any to perish, but for all to come to repentance. I'd like to challenge you and challenge myself this week. When somebody does something that irritates your soul, pray for them. You'll be on your knees all day? Is that what you said? My, my pet peeve is, is driving. So my wife's going to be able to check me out if, if she's up to driving. And somebody does something foolish, which is only every other minute. And I need to pray for people. I don't need to react to them. I don't need to get angry. What, what am I doing? What am I accomplishing? Doesn't help my wife any. Because I'm verbal. In her case, she just drives them off the road. She never says a word. Just, just kindly goes over and pushes them right off the road. 
But she knows exactly where I'm at at all times. My mouth lets her know. But I, I need to recognize that God is patient. He, he's not willing that any should perish. Why am I that way? Why do I treat people around me that are doing little things that are temporarily frustrating me? And then I look at the news, which I don't watch as much anymore. And I see big things that seem to have a permanent impact that may totally throw out the Constitution. And if it goes, you look around the world today. Just go north and south, Canada and Mexico, and see what's going on. They don't have a constitution like ours. They put pastors in jail who don't submit. And so here's Habakkuk. He's just like us. He put his robe on one arm at a time, but, but it's still, he's a man. And he's struggling here watching the sin around him. And we can get all bent out of shape, or we can start praying with a desire for people to come to Christ and care about the people that are around us. So as he goes through the extremes here, look at verse 4. He's really going to try to explain something here. He says, behold, that's the idea of take notice or pay attention to this. For the proud one, his soul is not right within him, but the righteous will live by his faith. Now that's, there's a lot crammed into that verse. And I don't want to make it be the only thing that I'm really focusing on. It is found in Romans 1.17. It's found in Galatians 3.11. It's found in Hebrews 10.38 forms of, the, of a quotation of this, some more, some less. But he's trying to bring out something that the proud one, literally the one who was swollen or puffed up. And the picture to me comes to my mind when I think of that as like a bloated toad. <laughs> you ever seen a toad on a hot day that's dead? First thing they do is bloat. Second thing they do is pop. <laughs> Third thing they do is they get run over by the car. And then they're a flat toad. But, but it's the idea here. This is all puffed up. This, this is what these people are like, like a bloated toad. His soul, literally his life, his nephesh, is not right within him. He's not upright. That's, that's the basic problem. How do you get upright? How do you become righteous? By being perfect? By never sinning again? You can't do it. So who is he referring to here when he says, on the contrary, the strong contrast, that the righteous man will live by his faith? This man is a man who is humble. This is a man who is just. He's in a loyal relationship with God. And literally the word faith here, if you look it up, it's, he will live by his faithfulness. So we got this thing in our heads, Jim brought up in Sunday school again this morning, that we make a decision, we walk an aisle, we pray a prayer. I'm in, I'm good. I'm part of the club. Now I go do whatever I want. That is not what Scripture teaches anywhere. You become a new creation in Christ Jesus. Old things are passed away. All things have become new. And so when he brings out this word here, a righteous man, literally, will live by his faithfulness. What comes to my mind is Romans 8. You could probably quote that, right? How's it go? Ooh. Romans, oh, verse 28. Just because I had to give you the verse. Sorry, I, I didn't finish what I thought I said. It's, it's COVID. See, I blame everything on COVID now. Romans 8, 28 says, God causes all things. I'm kind of putting all the translations together. To work together for good. Oh, for those who, present tense, are loving him. It's not what you did at the altar when you were seven. It's what you're doing right now. You are proving who you are right now. So you are loving him and you, present tense, are being called according to his purpose. The whole issue there is he's calling you into service as a follower of his. Now I'm going to use you for this and this day I'm going to use you for this. And this day I'm going to give you COVID and you're going to sit around for a week or two or four. God doesn't need us. How much should we learn from going through that? There'll be more coming back, more survivors, more stories. We, we're having a party afterward. We'll share our COVID stories <laughs> of those who got vaccinated naturally. But, but the, the struggle here is with this whole thing is that people think it's a decision I make instead of realizing that that decision is a lifestyle that I live. So you can look at somebody and you can know if they're a new creature in Christ Jesus by the way they live their life. Not sinless, that's not what it's talking about, but righteously. 
Does that kind of make sense? And this is what he's trying to bring out. When you looked at the life of a Chaldean, what did you see? He did good most of the week, but on Mondays he just had bad days? No, this guy was a heathen to the utmost. And as we're going to go down through a list here, he's going to pronounce woes against them. You realize you did not want them living next door. But if they were living next door, what would you do? Pray for them. Very good. We'll see if you're listening. When they shoot your dog, you pray for them. Strike that from the record. When they drive through your fence, you pray upon them. Right? That's how it works. No, you pray for them. My first response is they need Christ more than I need whatever it is they took away. Then you go get them. Vengeance is mine, I will repay, says Jack. Is that, is that how the verse goes? No, that's not, not what it is. And this is what Habakkuk's trying to do right here. He thinks everything's revolving around him, that he's the authority. He's standing there with his hands on his hips saying, okay, God, get out of that one. Checkmate. I got you. You don't want to play chess with God. So here's the righteous man who's living by his faithfulness. He's loyal to God. He's just in his lifestyle. He, he sins, and what does he do about it? 1 John 1, 9. He confesses his sin. If you confess your sin, what does God do? He's faithful himself, and he is just. It's the right thing for God to do. He's not being unholy to forgive you. Because it's not your justification that's being taken care of. It's your sanctification. It's your fellowship with God that's being restored. You can't undo his declaration of righteousness in your life. If you're really saved, if you're really the righteous man, then that's what shows most of the time. And when it's not showing, I was listening to a message by John MacArthur this week on church discipline and and the misuse of a number of passages and the one about where two or three are gathered together prepare there he is in their midst that's in the context of church discipline that's two or three witnesses getting together and praying for this person it's not a promise that god whenever i'm there well there's a church only takes two or three people it gets abused a lot but the issue it got onto there was that god disciplines his own if your brother sins go and reprove him and john MacArthur said he grew up his whole life and never saw that in the church and he was in potentially good churches his dad, Jack Wurtson, I, I had books by him. And John MacArthur says, we don't do that. How do you feel when somebody comes to you and confronts you with a sin in, their, in your life? You hug them, right? Only if you have COVID. <laughs> we don't like being confronted. We don't like people pointing things out to us unless we're walking by the Spirit, unless we're really saved and we really want God's will in our life. So initially, you may not respond right, but give it a couple minutes, a couple hours, for some maybe a couple days, and they'll come around as the Holy Spirit uses the truth of God's word and the truth of a fellow believer who loved you enough to tell you that, that truth. And he begins to work on you to realize they're right. I'm wrong. I am sinning. But we do not enjoy it. Any volunteers? Anybody want us to pick on you this week? We'll put all eyes on you when we see you slip up one time. 27 phone calls. They did it. They sinned. Go get them. Call them up. Write them letters. Pester them at work, whatever ways, but go after them. Go to their house. Sit on their front porch until they repent. Is that, is that how we like it? No, we, we don't like that at all. But, but it's got to be done. If you really care about somebody, and we talked about that, we did our series with children. If you let your children do whatever they want, if you have child-centered parenting, you've got a serious problem. And what you're admitting out of Proverbs is, I don't love my child. It's going to cost you. Your child is not your best friend. That may happen someday, maybe when you're 80. But you're always going to be a parent. You're always going to have opportunity to give input into their life. You're always going to be 20, 30 years ahead of them in your spiritual growth. They should be able to look up to you all the way along. 
And so as I lovingly correct my children, I lovingly correct those around me. And this is what Habakkuk is begging God to do. Why didn't Habakkuk do it? How come we don't get any message in here about Habakkuk like Nineveh with Jonah taking a three days journey through the city of Jerusalem and crying out, judgment's coming, repent. If you don't turn from your wicked ways, the Chaldeans are going to come and wipe you out. Did he do that? Don't know for sure. But it doesn't look like it. He wanted God to nail them from everything we see here. And he's really upset when God isn't spanking them and then chooses to spank them with the Chaldeans. Who do you think you are? And so he's struggling here when he says the proud one, the Chaldean, is the best example of that, is his soul is not right within him. He is not upright. He needs salvation. And if he refuses it, God will be his judge. But a righteous man will live by his faithfulness. This is what he's going to practice in his life. This genuine righteous conduct. A Christ-like lifestyle where righteousness is being revealed on a daily basis. That's where we need to be at. But you'll find if people stop coming to church sometimes, it's because there's a problem there. They're not right with God. And if they're not right with God, they don't want to hang around with other Christians. So when you notice people missing, which is really difficult these days, hopefully we'll get most everybody back, but it's an opportunity to check up and find out how you're doing. But do we like to do that? What might they do to us? How are you doing? How's your walk with the Lord? So as he's going into the remaining part of this section here under the liability, he says in verse 5, furthermore, still further or moreover, he's continuing this idea. He says, wine betrays the haughty man, the proud man. Wine deceives, it's treacherous to the haughty man so that he does not stay at home. And literally the idea behind that is he's never at rest. He never abides restfully. He enlarges his appetite like Sheol, and he is like death, never satisfied. He also gathers to himself all nations and collects to himself all peoples. What do we know about the Chaldeans? What were they doing the night that they were conquered? Daniel 5. They're drinking out of the vessels that came from the temple of God. They're celebrating those gods. He even got handwriting on the wall. Wouldn't that change something in your feast? He gets it interpreted. Daniel tells him. He's still kind of white as a ghost as he's trying to figure this out. And all, all of his magicians wouldn't even guess. And you think, well, it's right there. It's written right on the wall. You could guess. They didn't even want to guess. Because it was a hand. There was only a hand showing up. And they got their full attention. And God was going to judge them. How long did it take? One night. One night. But what did God do at the last hours of their existence, especially the king? He gave him a warning. And you remember what Daniel said? I went back and read Daniel 5 this week. Remember what Daniel said to him? When you take time to go through the chapter, you realize he's pointing out to him, um, Belteshazzar, I'm saying it wrong. Belshazzar, you knew about this. You knew what happened to your dad when you took over. You knew about Daniel already. Why does he have to get introduced to him? Why does he get called in last? Why isn't he one of the magicians that's part of this process of trying to figure out what does the handwriting say? Because he had pushed it out of his life. But Daniel reminds him boldly, could have died on the spot. How dare you tell me what I already know and point it out to me. You knew. I don't want your necklace. I don't want half your kingdom, whatever, all the stuff that he's offering to him. You can get that to somebody else. Try saying that to a king. But here's the message. And it happened that very night. They could have repented on the spot. They could have been like Nineveh and recognized, yep, we've sinned against the one and only true God. And they didn't do it. And so it wine, this, this um, drunken orgy that they were practicing, that was part of their life. And as you go back historically and look at the Chaldeans, it dominated them. Drunkenness was a part of their lives. Remember on, in Crete, in Titus, what, was, what dominated them? As Paul writes to Titus, and he gives them a message in the very beginning. He gets down to about verse 
Uh, where do I want to find it? Okay, verse 12 would be the best place. He says, one of themselves, a prophet of their own, said, this is one of their own people, Cretans are always liars, evil beasts, lazy gluttons. What do you say about Lapinians? Oh, I am one. But what they said about the Chaldeans is they're a bunch of drunks. Every time you turn around, they're drunk. And then they mix these orgies in and this idolatry in and they bring all this stuff in and it has betrayed them. This addiction of theirs has deceived their arrogance. They're never abiding at rest. They never have enough, this insatiable desire that enlarges their appetite. They're never content. This insatiable stomach is never full. No matter how much they get, they want more. And so he gathers, collects all the nations, all the peoples to himself. They dominate, dominate, dominate. And they're wiping out a majority of them, but they're bringing some of them home. We talked to you in Sunday school about how did Daniel come through all of this. Before the Chaldeans are destroyed in 536, they're carried off in captivity. The, the Judah is in three different captivities, 605, 598, 586, somewhere in there. So there's years between, but there's reasons why it all happened, and the temple didn't go away until the third deportation that took place. Judah had opportunity to repent. Finally, the third time, God said, that's it. Destroyed the temple. and Took everything out of it. And so he's telling them here, these Chaldeans are never satisfied. They never have enough. They're never content. And they're seeking to conquer the known world. That's their liability, Habakkuk. Take your hands off your hips. I know exactly what's going on. I don't play around with sin. This should affect our lives first, and then it affects the lives of those around us. As they say, it's living in righteousness, they're going to respond in one of two ways. It was brought on Sunday school again. They're either going to hate you, or they're going to submit to Christ. You're going to get a reaction. You're going to get people off the fence. And what I've been bringing up for years is America lives on the fence. They think they're religious. They think they're right with God, and yet they're full of every sin you can think of. How did that happen? How did that happen? We have a Bible to read. We have many translations to read. We don't care. It doesn't matter to us. It's not important. If you were to sit down, and we talked about doing different kinds of surveys of your life, but if you start keeping track of your time, write down what you do with it. And I'd be the first one to admit, I watch a lot of TV, but I'm watching this old house and some old westerns, and some of those are garbage. But, but it's like I'm exhausted lately. I blame my cancer in the past, and then COVID finished me off. But as the weather gets better, and I was actually out about doing some stuff Saturday until I was exhausted. But I find myself sitting there quite a bit. But ask my wife, the verbal guy is always evaluating everything. And when the commercials started going to where they were primary, primarily homosexual commercials, I'm going, what is this? On this old house. I told you I cut off the old TV. We're not paying any money for everything. It's all free. And you're kind of looking for stuff. And it's like, I like to learn. I like to have, have, bring things in. And they're telling you how to do stuff or how to bury a propane tank or whatever it is and do it safely. And all the things that are out there, I like to learn. But I'm realizing they're trying to teach me things I don't want to know. But if you sat down and you kept a journal or a diary and you're figuring out, oh, look how many hours you watch TV. Look how many hours you played video games. Look how many hours you, whatever it is you choose to do, and then compare it with how many hours you read your Bible or listened to it. I, know, I understand it, it can be difficult for some. Or went to a Bible study or did a Bible study in preparation for going to one. It's a small number. It, there is no wonder, and again, I'm meddling, this is where I'm going to get in trouble, but it's no wonder that the church is ignorant today. We don't know our Bibles. That is not good. Our military is going the same direction. Some of them don't even know how to operate a weapon. They don't know how to march. They have no stamina. They don't know what submission is. It's going away. Do you think you're going to have a good army from that? Well, then do you think you're going to have a good church that doesn't walk with God, that isn't demonstrating their faithfulness 
by their hunger and thirst for righteousness, by this craving, I want to know more. This is what I'm really desiring, and I'm going to work at. So he moves from this liability to a lament. Now he crashes in on them. Five of them, I'll try to cover them fairly quickly. Some of you are already falling asleep on me. I I need something to throw. (laughs) Because you can't blame COVID. This won't fly very good. Stand up, walk around, sit in the front so when you fall over, we all know you're sleeping. (laughs) Oh, yeah, I already told you to lay down and and take your oxygen, right? Yeah, maybe that's the problem. But anyway, here's, here's the lament. Five stanzas, three verses each. This is laid out in a poetical way. By Habakkuk. Remember we talked about Habakkuk is not a simple little writing. The guy behind it was well-educated. A very smart man. He uses some Hebrew that people go, we don't know how to translate that. And figure out what exactly he's saying. He's advanced. And so he does the same thing with it here. And it says literally in the beginning, will not all of these, the conquered peoples that he just referred to, take up a taunt song against him, the proud one, the haughty. This taunt song is kind of a hard thing to nail down. So my simple definition is it's a proverb of poetry that ridicules and mocks. So it's put in a poetical form, written like a proverb with parallelism. If you were to read it in the Hebrew, you realize that they, they kind of follow each other. Says it and then kind of says it again. Says it, says it again. And so in this parallelism, you call it a proverb or a parable, someone to call it. I think proverb fits better. It's a satirical outburst. There, there's the mockery that comes in, the ridicule. And so he says right off, this, this mockery, this satire, and the insinuations, the riddles, the allegories that are denouncing. And they say, woe to him. Woe here is an interjection in the Hebrew. It expresses an, an exclamation of denunciation. He basically says to them, um, you're in big trouble. And so the first one is regarding stealing. He goes to Chaldeans, you kind of go, that's the first thing you're going to zero in on? We never steal anything, do we? We don't steal time when, when we're on the clock. We don't steal somebody else's stuff when it's left there for more than five minutes. We're tempted. Oh, somebody forgot this. They probably aren't coming back. If I leave it there, somebody else will take it. We, we have this whole, see, yeah, you're good. You, you, you know how that works. And we go through this process and we justify things in our lives. But, but then there's this flagrant Stealing. And he says, that's the Chaldeans. Woe to him who increases what is not his. He heaps up or he multiplies, he increases what is not his. And he says, for how long? What good is that? If you're going to steal from people, it's going to come back to bite you. But he says, he increases what is not his and makes himself rich with loans. It's kind of an interesting picture here. He says, he makes himself rich with these temporary credit. but he's heavy with riches. So when he says stealing, it's kind of not the normal thing. This is a band of people coming in and they take everything they want. Everything. The bank vaults are open. Your front door is open. They want the car keys. They want your children as they took off Daniel and as we call him, Meshach, um, Shadrach, and Abednego. But they took whatever they wanted. So he nails this one first, that they're thieves, they're stealing. And, and he's trying to bring out here that he says um, they make themselves rich with these. They're just loans. It's a temporary thing you're doing. It isn't going to last forever. You're going to pay. You will be caught up to. God will come back and he will nail you in the long run. So why are you doing this? Verse 7, will not your creditors rise up suddenly and those who collect from you, the ones that are coming back to get back what is theirs, won't they awaken? And literally the idea there is to make you tremble. Indeed, you will become plunder for them. You're going to become the booty. You're going to become the spoil when Jesus Christ returns and takes you out and takes everything back. That's ultimately what this is all going to. The whole book of Habakkuk, the the promises he's leading to are all about God's sending his son to return. When Babylon is ultimately destroyed to the nth degree, what chapters of Revelation cover that? Revelation chapters 
17 and 18. Why take so much time in the book of Revelation to explain what's going to happen to Babylon? See, I need to preach on it again. You guys are forgetting it already. But as he's bringing this up, he's trying to tell them that he's coming back, and you're going to be plundered because, in verse 8, you have eluded many nations. You've plundered and spoiled them. All the remainder of the peoples are going to loot you because of human bloodshed and violence done to the land. This idea, I had to pick something on each one of these, but woe to him who steals what isn't his. Which, which of the Ten Commandments is broken here? If we had a game show and I gave out money for these, not, for these information, it might work better. Marvin? Close, but double it. Number eight. The eighth commandment's broken here, which says, thou shalt not steal. This is deceptive robbery on their parts. They think it's right, it's okay for them to do that which is kind of how we always justify any sin in our lives. So he nails them, and he says, no, it isn't okay. What you're doing to people and taking everything you're taking is unjust gain. It is wrong, and you're breaking a commandment that God's given. When God gave the Ten Commandments, he gave them to whom initially? Moses gave them to Israelites. Ten Commandments. Nine of them are repeated in the New Testament. Which one's left out? Keeping the Sabbath. You go to Exodus 31, you realize the Sabbath is given to Israel specifically. It's not given to mankind in general. And you can take some time to look at that. But the other nine are repeated in the New Testament to the Gentiles. And this is what he's doing here as I try to pick these up. The, this eighth commandment is being broken by the Chaldeans. They are liable and they will answer for it apart from being justified in Christ. Apart from them getting saved. And it's not that Chaldeans can't. We know Nebuchadnezzar did. But what did God have to put him through? Seven years. He crushed him. And then finally brought his mind back. The second one he nails in verses 9 to 11 is, um, Woe to him who covets. And I know I kind of stretched this a little bit, but let me explain to you why I want this route. Verse 9 says, Woe to him who gets evil gain. This gain by violence or this profiting selfishly for his house, to put his nest on high. I looked up this morning, um, the eagle's nest over in Bavaria, Germany. Who, who named it the eagle's nest? It wasn't Hitler. It was the Allies. And what did they never bomb? The eagle's nest. Why not? You would think, man, take them out. This is where they're having their meetings. This is where the brass are. Watch for some activity there. They didn't have satellites and things to be able to do that. And then just bomb it. Take it out. It's sitting right on the top of a mountain. You can't miss it. They respected that, and they did not destroy it. But what did Hitler think that place was? He had a name for it. I can't pronounce it in German. What did he do when he was up there? Made some decisions and meetings, but he gloated. You, know, you can see pictures, a lot of pictures of them up there. I don't know if you ever watched that. See, I, I watch those documentaries because I want to know the real deal, not what somebody's telling me about it, but I want to see it for myself. Some of it's not very pleasant to watch. Yeah, he thought he was the king of the world. And, and this is my place, man. Nobody's going to touch me. And this is what the Chaldeans are doing. They put their nest, interesting they use that word, on high to be delivered from the hand of calamity. They're never going to get to us here. That was the Germans. All over the place. Cocky as can be. You see some similarities with the Chaldeans. Verse 10, you have devised, you've advised or counseled a shameful thing. Something that's worthless, literally, is what the Hebrew brings out. It's embarrassing, this shameful thing for your house. By cutting off or exterminating many peoples. So you're sinning against yourself. Don't you get it? You reap what you sow. If you're going to do this to other people, it's going to come back on you. And it's exactly what has happened to the Chaldeans in one night. These people that are high up on the nest, the people that are exalted, they think nobody can get to us. One night, they divert the river. They're all a bunch of drunks. They sneak in under the castle wall, whatever you want to call it, the city wall of Babylon, and they took them out, and the king died that night. That's not common. A lot of times they would go in and conquer. They would catch the king. They wanted to gloat over him. They wanted to use him as an example. One guy cut off all the big toes and all the thumbs of the kings. 
and then kept him around his table while watched. They ate with him at a lower level, but they ate with him. I still have my toes. I still have my thumbs. I beat you. You're lesser than me, far lesser than me. This is kind of the picture that's going on there. And so they thought they really were something. And he says, you're sitting against yourself. You're going to bring this on in verse 11. Surely the stone will cry out from the wall and the rafter will answer it. These acquired materials that you have stolen in the beginning, coveted that you wanted them so bad, they're going to testify against you. Guilty, guilty, guilty. You ever taken something? Don't answer that question publicly. But have you ever taken something and found out it was not enjoyable? You only found that out because you were a believer. And the Holy Spirit said, no, no. And then as a child, maybe you took something, your parents made you take it back. Was that enjoyable? No. And we've gone into all those. I'm going to run out of time. But God is going to make sure that they answer. And the materials that they took are going to be the witness against them. Where'd you get that? Why does that say John Ebner on it? And you have it in your house. Where'd you get it from? You can lie to me and say I bought it from John. Or you can be honest and say I stole it from John after I killed him. Oh, that's the next one. We're going to move to the next level here. Number three, woe to him who builds a city with bloodshed and founds a town with violence. This is what they were after. They were, it's literally woe to him who builds a city of blood. The, the picture here is murder. He founds a town with violence. It's uh, violent deeds of injustice. They were cruel. They had no compassion, no mercy. And you go in and you start studying again, just World War II is the only one I've really gone into that has enough information. And you see the cruelty and the cruelty and the cruelty. And my wife says, can we turn off the cruelty for a while? So I try not to watch it when she's watching. But it's sad what they did to people. And you think, this is civilized. This is Germany. These are the people that, that were running the world. They knew everything. They had access to all this information. And this is how they treated each other. Because this third thing, woe to him who murders. And so he says this woe again. Alas, you're really in big trouble. Through murder, these violent deeds of injustice. And he says, literally, you toil for fire. That's kind of interesting. I'm trying to find my spot here. I lost it. There it is. Verse 13. You work hard to simply watch it burn up. And here, I'll give you an example. It's like taking some hard-earned savings out of the bank. You go down and you buy a living room set. Couch, uh, chairs, end tables. That's what goes in the living room. Right? And a coffee table. You just buy all this stuff. It's all made out of wood. The, the couches have wood on them with some <coughs> materials. And then you, you get your family together and you have a big bonfire. And the next thing you know, you're carrying all that stuff out and you're putting it on the bonfire and watching it burn. Didn't you just buy that two days ago? Yeah. But I had to wait till all of you were around. I wanted you to watch. This is what this is basically saying here. You're getting all this stuff so that you can toil for fire, only to watch it burn up. Guess what the judgment's going to be when Christ returns? By fire. Gone. You spent your life on that? That's what you thought had value to it? Verse 13, um, he also goes and says, Is it not indeed from the Lord of hosts um, or the Lord of nations that they grow weary for nothing? This emptiness, this vanity, they're, they're working hard. They're, they're putting out this effort. You watch the Germans, and I didn't realize it until recently, that most of them were on drugs. The reason their army could go for days, when they made some of their advances and some of their attacks, they were on what is known today as methamphetamine and some other drugs that were given out to them regularly because the, they were reluctant to do what they were being asked to do. What does that tell you? They had some kind of conscience. And when their commanders found out that's how they were, they gave them a drug that not only gave them the energy to fight for two or three days, and the, the opposing forces were looking at them going, this is crazy. These guys are animals. We, we can't fight them. They won't stop. They have no limits on them. And they'd say, surely they've been gone for 24 hours. They've been gone for 48 hours. They're going to stop and take a break. And what happened to all those people? They died. Because Hitler just kept sending them out and sending them out. And they say, we've got to retreat. We're going to get trapped. Sending them out. You stay there. You die rather than retreat. We don't give up. And so here's this struggle going on as they're murdering, as they're um, 
growing, are growing weary for, are growing weary for nothing. He says the earth is going to be filled with the knowledge of the glory of the Lord. He kind of flips that in there. What's the end result going to be? It's not your glory, Chaldeans. It's not your glory, Americans, whatever peoples are, are going away from God. The earth is going to be filled with the knowledge of the glory of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. It's going to overflow to the fullest. This knowledge is the understanding, the discernment, the recognition of Yahweh's glory. Which commandment is being broken here? I know you looked ahead. Number six. So he went from eight to ten to six. And again, you go from this deceptive robbery in the first one, to the selfish desire in the second one, or selfish gain, to this unlawful execution in the third one. They think they're gaining every way, but it's unjust, it's selfish, it's brutal. And so in verse 15, he says, Woe to you who make your neighbors drink. Alas to you who make your neighbors drink, who mix in your venom even to make them drunk. Why? So to look on their nakedness. This is a common occurrence in our country. Not common in the courts because it's hard to prove and to catch people. But there are some in prison today that are well-known people that are accused of doing that. I wasn't there. God knows. But this is what they did all the time. They are getting them drunk like they did in Daniel 5 to look on their nakedness, to take advantage of them sexually. And the, the word carries the idea with, to look on is to gloat over them. Remember again, and I'm sorry I keep going back to World War II, but it just fits, all of this fits. You watch what they did to them, they would strip them. Why would they strip them naked first? They wanted their stuff. It humiliated them. How far are you going to run with bare feet and no clothing? Depending on what time of the year it is. And they gloated over it. They thought it was funny until it happened to them. You'll be filled with disgrace or contempt. You'll be filled uh, rather than honor or glory. You will um, now yourself drink and expose your own nakedness. And literally the Hebrew brings out in verse 16, they're going to expose that the fact that they're uncircumcised. He's focusing on the men of war. The Jews are going to know who you are and where you stand out because that's what's going to happen to you. The cup in the Lord's right hand will come around to you. It's the cup of judgment. The utter disgrace or contempt that you've shown to people will come upon your glory. Your honor will be taken away. And he gives them a reason why. Because the violence done to Lebanon will overwhelm you. It's going to smother you. And the devastation or destruction of its beast by which you terrify them because of human bloodshed and violence done to the land, to the town, and all its inhabitants. He just bringing it out. He's spelling out clearly. What do you think Habakkuk's thinking at this point? Whoa. Notice that play on words there? Whoa. You get it? (laughs) This is what he's recognizing. God says, oh no, don't get the wrong impression that I just pretend like this never happened. But I'm long-suffering. I'm not willing that even the Chaldeans would perish. I sent my son to die for them. And so the last one, he changes it a little bit, starts off in verse 18 with what profit is the idol? What benefit or advantage is this image of something that's been made by man when its maker has carved it? Or an image, literally a molten image, something made out of metal and poured into a form, is a teacher of falsehood or lies. What's, what's the ben- benefit? What's the profit? For its maker trusts in his own handiwork. Who are they relying upon? themselves. And it says, when he fashioned speechless idols, dumb, worthless gods, dumb in the sense of unable to speak, worthless in the sense that these are vain images. I could make one. I could make one in the form of a cow and it would look like a duck, but I could still worship it. I could call it whatever I wanted to. I could stick it up on the mantle. I can dust it, polish it, kiss it, whatever you do with an idol. But pray to it when I had COVID. I could take it to bed with me. I have full control over it. I'm just kidding. (laughs) But this is what they were doing. Some of them were really big. Some of them were really small. And then he finally gets in verse 19 to the phrase, woe to him. Alas, to the one who says to a piece of wood, awake. And how well does that work? It doesn't. To a dumb stone, arise. It's unable to speak. It's a worthless God. It cannot walk. 
It cannot act. And then he questions, he says, that's your teacher? That's what you're looking up to? That's what you're using in your life to get um, further along? He says, behold, it is overlaid with gold and silver. That'd be the wood variety of the idol. And there's no breath at all inside of it. But in strong contrast, verse 20, the Lord, and for all you who had the copy of that, that should be cop, uh, all capital letters, it's Yahweh. The Lord is in his holy temple. Literally, the Hebrew reads, the Lord is in the temple of his holiness. Let all the earth be silent before him. <gasps> that little phrase, be silent, is another interjection. Woe, 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 woe. And then he throws the last one out here. And literally the Hebrew says in verse 20, be silent is hush. Hush. It's almost pronounced that way from the Hebrew. Keep silent. You turn to the last passage as we wrap this up. Zechariah, just a little bit over. I'm sorry, Zephaniah, the first one. Next book over from Habakkuk. Chapter 1, verse 7. What does Zephaniah say? Be silent before the Lord God. For the day of the Lord is near. For the Lord has prepared a sacrifice. He has consecrated his guests. What is Zephaniah all about? The day of the Lord. Judgment. That's what it's all about. And yet he puts that little phrase in there. Be silent. Hush before the Lord. Turn over a couple more books. You got Haggai in between. Then you got Zechariah chapter 2. In verse 17. Yep, I wrote the wrong, that's not it. There's only 13. And so it is 13. I better correct that while I'm thinking about it. But look at verse 13. Again, the phrase there is be silent. All flesh, this Gentiles and Jews, before the Lord, for he is aroused from his holy habitation. What is Zechariah covering when he gets into this? He's ultimately talking about the judgment. God's favor to Zion, but for everyone to recognize the position that God holds. And the last one in closing is Revelation chapter 8. Remember the two chapters that talk about Babylon? What are they? 17 and 18, very good. And then chapter 8, verse 1, you've moved into the book. He's dealt with a number of issues, and chapter 8 begins God's judgment. The great tribulation is not God's judgment. We've talked about that a whole bunch. But when you get to chapter 8, it's the beginning of God's judgment, and look how it starts in verse 1. When he broke the seventh seal, there was silence in heaven for about a half an hour. And all these angels get ready, and then ultimately they start to sound in verse 7. And out comes hail and fire mixed with blood. And on it goes. When you talk about the silence of God in Scripture, you're talking about his judgment. When you look at the book of Habakkuk, what God ultimately is saying is that the day of judgment is going to come on Babylon at the end when Christ returns. And what did he tell Habakkuk to do in the meanwhile? Wait. Wait. Trust me, Habakkuk, it's coming. Witness, Habakkuk, they need me. Turn hearts to me with the truth. But don't be standing up and screaming at me that you aren't judging people. I want them dead now. Because your heart's not right when that's your attitude. I'm glad God didn't treat me that way. Because I wouldn't be here today. Share the gospel. Pray for your enemies, as the Sermon on the Mount says. Act like Jesus, and some of them are going to come to know him, but it may cost you a lot in the process. A dog, a house, a fence, whatever it may be. Those are expendable. People are not. Let's pray. Father, we thank you. This is not an easy message for Habakkuk. He seemed to be a well-educated, maybe um, well-off man. He was called to be your prophet. He was being faithful. But he was questioning you. He was concerned about what you were choosing to do. May we not do that today. May we instantly obey. May we submit, as you've told us over and over and over again in your word, to pray without ceasing, to be devoted to prayer and everything to give thanks. And on and on it goes. We need you, Father. 
we are easily distracted by this world and its sickness. May we be focused on you and go out of our way to make you our priority each day. And if our day starts early, then we need to get up earlier. We need to put you first. As I looked at Psalm 10 this morning, it's about judgment. It's coming. It's all through your scriptures. But your heart is there too, your love for man, your willingness to send your own son to die on the cross. May that be the message people hear from us. May we not be crying out for God to condemn them. Use us for your glory, I pray in Jesus' name. Amen.